When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Mason Anthony's minor league podcast. I am Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing this week? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Okay. Just watched uh, Rich Hill have five very good innings, and then we will ignore the sixth, but that's fine. That's good. So yes. Also, this is probably like... The worst lineup in baseball to throw Rich oh, Hill yeah. against? The Astros have a lot of righties too, but like, it doesn't scare me as much as the top oh, yeah. four of Springer, Vladito, <laughs> Samia, and Bichette against soft tossing 41 year old left hander. Hmm. <laughs> hey, Who's been raised up and down for some reason? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he was good. So if he does that every time, then. Yeah, we'll be fine. I'm fine with trading a 23-year-old kind of catcher in double-A. Uh, don't, don't forget the $600,000, you know? Oh, yeah, with, with Tommy Hunter and his back that got uh-huh. getting out of bed, according uh-huh. to Trevor May on a podcast. I'm not a fan of trading basically anybody because just the amount of time that I have to dedicate to watching these guys play, but I'm completely fine with this move because, I mean, Matt Dwyer, you know, good luck, whatever, but... I, I literally cannot remember anything he's done so far. Yeah, exactly. Like, I knew the name, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> the Rays just wanted to get rid of Rich Hill. Cool. Mm-hmm. And plus, I like Rich Hill, so that's always, you know, good. I wonder if he'll be a good fit in City. Like, I know this is not talking about the 41-year-old. It's not the minor league podcast. but <laughs> Because, like, he's a fly ball pitcher. And the From place complex is... to over the hill. <laughs> From complex to Dick Mountain. But, um... Like, it's he's a fly ball pitcher, and that stadium has play, been playing huge this year. So I wonder if it's just going to be a good fit for him for half a season. What well, one could say the Rays were over the hill, and that's <laughs> him. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to promote extend trade then. And I kind of lost my voice yesterday. I was at Atlantic City. Uh, I went so to jealous. go went to go see the GCW show and. Nick Gage shockingly lost the championship. So someone clarify for me, is GCW a wrestling thing? It is, yes. Okay, thank you. So (laughs) I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, But since I do have the two of you here, I'm going to – we'll talk about not shocking losses in wrestling, but we'll talk about shocking video game moments. Oh, excellent. So, for promote extend trade this week, I guess we'll go, you know, most shocking to least shocking. First, we have Sephiroth permanently killing Eris in Final Fantasy VII. Then we have Darth Malak revealing that you are actually Darth Revan in Knights mm. of the Republic. Ooh. And finally, the revelation that you, James, killed your wife and that everything that's going on is your punishment in Silent Hill 2. Man, yeah. Right, so I, I have to, I have to disclose up front. I've never played a Final Fantasy games, but the other, Final, but the other two, excellent choices. Little me playing Kotor and not yeah. really knowing what I'm doing because it was too advanced for me at the time, and then getting that reveal, I was like sitting in my room, like, whoa, this is what art is. <laughs> Older me playing that game and yeah. knowing what I'm doing, and then getting that reveal, I was like, whoa, so. <laughs> Weirdly enough, growing up, I didn't have, like, a gaming computer, so I played Kodar on, on Xbox. Me too. That's where I played it, too. Um, so I don't know if this was an issue with my Xbox or just, you know, trying to play an RPG on a console in the first place, but late game, 
right around the time, like right after that revelation, the game basically just wouldn't run anymore. Like it would freeze for a solid 15 seconds in the middle of any action. Uh, so unfortunately, the first time I got the reveal, I'm like, oh, that's great. And then the game was ruined. But when I played it, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was an issue with my Xbox. And the OG Xbox isn't even, even the Xbox 360 were kind of a piece of shit. Yeah, not the best. They didn't hold up well. So I'm, I'm a star. After, after slowly growing more and more jaded with Star Wars, more recent Star Wars content has mm-hmm. brought me back to Star Wars and therefore definitely the, the extend for me there. Yeah, same, same. And I, um, I played it recently, um, during lockdown last year mm-hmm. and it holds up. It's still very good. Yep. It's old, like obviously, but like those games are, could be old and also play well, you know, because mm-hmm. it doesn't really rely in, on anything crazy. They're remaking it, right? Or no? Uh, I don't know. I mean, in a weird way, the fact that its combat system is so dated makes it hold up better. Mm-hmm. Almost. I agree. Like, yeah. if you go play um, another old Bioware game, not that at that old, but old, you play, like, Mass Effect, the first Mass Effect. Tough. Right? Like, because it's a moved, it's, like, the first game with a more modern combat system, but you're so used to the... 300 iteration of that combat system mm-hmm. in modern yeah. games that you play that and it's like this sucks even now i'm playing through legendary edition and i'm on three and i'm like oh yes <laughs> this three, is I mean, this is what combat's supposed to feel even like two is pretty good yeah uh, andrew for all the flaws andrew we're going way off the the, the question here for all the flaws Andrea, andromeda had its combat system was quite fun yeah anyway it's, it's fun to play yeah anyway love bioware love kotar Screw you, EA, for ruining yet another wonderful franchise. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it for me. Just because I was, like, so mind-blown. Mm-hmm. Like, I played Final Fantasy VII after the fact, so I was like, oh, yes, that's a good twist. But I think the emotional time of me being young and playing that game was very, mm-hmm. like, it sticks in my mind as, like, video games could do that. Because I was playing, like, some kid, little kid stuff. Not really little kid stuff, but, like, platformers and stuff where the story isn't really the main part of it <laughs> you're playing like, sonic yeah I, i'm playing like crash bandicoot and shit gotta like, go fast man <laughs> out of nowhere dr robotnik just fucking assassinates tails <laughs> i'm like no tails not knuckles Leave we're gonna me. we're gonna attract a very weird part of the internet by delving into sonic discussions here <laughs> no, yeah, we don't want to do that sonic the last movie i saw pre-pandemic in a movie theater. Imagine bullying an entire studio into making their product less shit. <laughs> if only that worked on EA. EA, yep. The problem with EA is people love those freaking sports games and just play them like gotcha, gotcha pawn machines. And they all hate them. Like, everyone yeah, hates them. I don't understand it! <laughs> everyone hates plays them. Everyone's so mad at Madden and then it sells millions because everyone buys it again. And not Including just sells me. millions, but now they sell cards within it too. It just prints mm-hmm. money and lets them do shit things with other games. All right, I'll stop now. <laughs> I have to, uh, you know, extending Knights of the Republic, obviously. I'm going to promote Final Fantasy because that was, like, super emotional. Mm-hmm. And I think that with Silent Hill 2, I think that, like, the revelation is just kind of not that important because uh playing that game i'm just was just fucking terrified yeah it didn't really matter why i'm terrified i just want to like escape and not have to deal with everything anymore you know i would say it is a good twist though yeah tie that in they do a good job with it i was really hoping you'd drop the uh revelation in mass effect one when you find out what the reapers actually are but you know can't do two bioware things fair fair and as we established last week, I have not played Mass Effect. Yes, so this is my weekly encouragement for you to <laughs> immediately end the pod. We can end the podcast early if you want, if you just go start playing Mass Effect immediately. <laughs> so, all right, guys, I'll be back later. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be back 300 hours of gameplay later. There's also another one. I've never played Bioshock, but apparently that had a major twist to it that oh, was it like... Does, yeah. The yeah. most recent one, yeah. I mean, at least with Bioshock, you don't have to play 1 and 2 to enjoy Infinite. Yeah, that's fair. And two is rough anyway. One is good. Two isn't good. All right, so let's move on now. And 
Normally, we'd start off our episode after promote Accenture with our uh, CPBL, KBO, NPB update, but I am unfortunately going to just have to end that as a weekly feature because I started a new job, and just in addition to there being more work that I have to do, my commute is just terrible, and I just don't have the time and the energy and everything to stay up on the Mets system in addition to three other leagues, so... I just hope that all the people that enjoyed, you know, hearing about the Unilions and the LG Twins and the Occult Swallows and all those players that we talked about, you know, I, I just encourage all those people to keep following those players, those teams, those leagues. And, you know, the world is, uh, the, the world is a smaller place. So it's, it's very easy to, you know, hop on YouTube and, and watch clips and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, look at Otani. You know, uh, three or four years ago, he was he was a phenom in the MPB. But, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people are just like, yeah, whatever. And now he's a phenom here. So, you know, just because a guy plays in Korea or a guy plays in Japan or a guy plays in Taiwan, you know, now doesn't mean that he's not going to eventually play in the U.S. and not, you know, possibly emerge as a, as a star here. So. I also feel right. like U.S. leagues in general are getting better about not caring where guys come from in that regard. Yeah. But there's way more of a chance now of the Chris Flexons of the world and the Eric Thames of the world uh, on top of guys coming over in general. At Mets, sign some notable Asian players, please. Yes. I mean, just sign players, notable players, period. Doesn't matter where they're from. All right, so we have some news to catch up on here. A couple of weeks ago, there's a big story that that erupted when minor league advocates publicly shamed the Mets for how they treated and compensated minor league players, and some media outlets, you know, big media outlets, picked up on that, and basically that led to Steve Cohen, you know, being forced to respond after being publicly shamed. And I don't know if a, a Twitter post counts as a statement, but you know, he he said on Twitter that he was going to look into it. And that there would be a comprehensive response to the points that were raised by the end of the week. And that was multiple weeks ago now. And there hasn't been any kind of public comprehensive response. But there is something of a silver lining here. Because according to some family members and, you know, of, of a handful of players that are currently in the system, the Mets have addressed uh, some of the issues that were raised. According to a report from the Daily News, um, players who participated in ex- extended spring training in Florida, they're going to get back pay for the months that they were there. Uh, players from the Cyclones and that were with the Cyclones are going to be reimbursed for the apparent $10 a night hotel costs that the team was making them pay. And players that are with the Syracuse Mets, they're going to get a $300 a month housing stipend. Um, that's still nowhere near enough. I mean, literally nobody on St. Lucie or nobody on Binghamton was even addressed. So, you know, it's, it's a half measure. Um, and it's still really, even those things being addressed, it's still like the tip of the iceberg to all the things that could be improved in the minors. And the story of like how minor leaguers are, are treated and everything, that's kind of moved on to the angels now because, some players in their system have come forward and shared some real personal, detailed testimony of the stuff that's going on in that organization. So I hope that this doesn't get swept under the rug in, in regards of the Mets and, you know, not really Cohen, not really following through and, you know, publicly talking about what was going to be done. As we've talked about, a lot needs to be done. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand both mindsets on this. Like, at least he did something. It's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. It's still nowhere near enough. Whoops, sorry. Um, like, just nowhere near enough, and all of these costs are so marginal that, like, you could just he could do so much more and never notice it. So, I don't know. Does he get? Does he deserve any credit for what is mostly a half measure? And eh, don't know that he does. Yeah, it's it's just so little. Like it's more than it was, obviously. 
mm-hmm. but it's also so little that like I don't want to say it almost doesn't matter because that's definitely not true, but also like he needs to do way more in order to like really get that reputation out of the way of like not treating mm-hmm. them like right. And we don't even know like if that is everything because that's just been what's reported and the Mets right, haven't exactly. said anything themselves and if we don't hear anything from any minor leaguers or any other reporting, we might never know what the Mets do. Like, I don't want to assume that the Mets are doing well here because they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt, but also it's possible that they just are doing better than we know and they haven't said anything. But also, why wouldn't you say anything? <laughs> That's such yeah, an easy... Exactly. It's like, weird. Like, it's such an easy win for him to tweet out some shit about the minor league, like, contract like paying minor leaders more or paying them their housing or some shit like that and then like everyone is like oh look how good the mets are doing yay you know but mm-hmm. if he doesn't do you that just blame then everything on the will ponds too and no one will bat an eye yeah no it, it, it would it would easily be like it took us this long for some bs reason that isn't actually true and then we fixed it and everyone would be happy so i don't really get why they would keep it under wraps if that's what they're doing but what it seems to be because I know the Daily News article cited sources in the team, you know, that just wanted to be off the record quoted anonymously. So I mean clearly the team on an official basis doesn't wanna discuss how things are being changed. But we do know yeah. that things are being changed. So yeah, that just it just doesn't make sense to me. Like why you would purposefully like not I guess use it for PR, like it's a shitty thing to say, but it's true. Like, but yeah, no, I mean, if I if I thought they had any morals, and again, maybe we're being too harsh, but who? Why should they deserve the benefit of the doubt? It may, it'd be nice to imagine that they're just doing it and not worrying about use leveraging it for PR. Yeah, sure, that, sure. That'd be a nice thing to think. I don't know that there's any reason to really uh, jump that. to that conclusion. Yeah, I I agree with that. Like, I don't think they would. <laughs> Straight up, I think they would use it for clout. <laughs> and like, if you they they would be doing a good thing for a, a bad reason, I guess, but they'd still be doing the good thing. So I'd rather I'd rather get the the see the tweet that Cohen said that he is paying all the minor leaguers all this stuff and getting the public praise for it. I'd rather that than them doing it quietly. Mm-hmm. Also, just to see what it is that they're addressing, because also to know that it's actually real, <laughs> like right. yeah, because then I'll, I couldn't. There's no way to doubt. Like he wouldn't tweet that and lie, because that's an easy way to. Everyone would just be like, "You're lying." Like here's the proof, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not. I'm not totally. I'm not a lawyer, nor am I super well versed mm-hmm. in like this part of the CBA. I don't know if there's anything legally that prevents them. Maybe. From- just like off the cuff saying, "Hey, yeah, now we're paying you 100k a year." All good. I would also say he does. He probably doesn't care about that because like the stuff with the Lindor negotiations was definitely not player friendly. <laughs> See, weirdly though, I think like no one, no one on the league side is going to give that much of a shit about an owner tamper, quote unquote, tampering on Twitter, right? But mm-hmm. they'd probably very much give a shit about this, and then he might have problems. That's fair. That's fair. So, I, I, again, I, I don't know exactly what the legal situation is there. It'd be nice. He certainly had. He, along with every other major league organization, has more than enough financial resources to just call up unilaterally, call every minor leaguer, and say, "Yeah, your yearly salary is now eighty k. Have yeah. fun." Yep. I mean, just just to put it in context, if he said that your yearly salary now is going to be like. The federal minimum wage, which is like twenty five thousand or whatever it is, that would almost be like double their salaries. Sure. Just say sure. how much you know, just to just to demonstrate like that's how little these guys are really getting compensated. Even even as even as a grad student, I make more than these guys, which is absurd because grad students just eternally bitch about how little we get paid. And to be clear, we don't get paid anything. Yeah, I was going to say getting... you need to get paid more too. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we're still ma- somehow making more than. Uh, professional athlete. Yeah, and I, 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 I was in Mina Kimes' tweets, and who, and she was talking about this a little bit, and just the amount of people people who reply saying, 
oh, they get paid to play a game? What about all these other people who do harder, more important jobs? It's like, yeah, they should get paid more too, but that's yeah, not the, the – That's not the argument. Yeah, we should – let's pay everyone more. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree. It's just – it's also so weird to me because baseball is the only, only minor league like – I mean, baseball as an organization is the only one who treats their minor leaguers like this. Like, the NBA has even G-leaguers make more than this, and the top G-leaguers sometimes make hundreds of thousands. Mm-hmm. And, like, really? yeah, like, the really – because you could – you don't have to go to college. You could, like, just go straight to the G-league, and sometimes they will uh, give signing bonuses and stuff to those players to get them to sign. But, like – hockey is like a very livable wage to be a minor league hockey player. Like the NFL obviously doesn't have one, but, and the NFL treats their rookies like they get paid a ton. That's why a guy like Kyler Murray chose to be a NFL player instead of a baseball player, because he made more in his rookie deal being like a top five pick than he probably will in a decade of baseball. So it's not only does this hurt the people who are playing, it hurts future people too. Like, the, the the 15 year old kid if you have a choice between do you, you want to play baseball for below the poverty line to maybe make half a million dollars in arbitration like Pete Alonso is a star and he's made more money in the home run derbies than he has as a met like that's a fundamental problem in general so like just play a different sport like i'd rather play basketball or football and even though football is like worse for your health Kyler Murray's a multi 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 millionaire with generational wealth now where in baseball he'd be in the Midwest making $2 an hour or whatever, you know? It's just, <laughs> it's it's like, I don't, it it's a loss for everyone except the owners, so. And that's why it hasn't been fixed. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, the, the we, we have only so much power of amplification mm-hmm. doing what we do, so hopefully the, the you know, Organizations like, you know, more than baseball and minor league advocates, obviously that's their job. That's not the right word to put it, but that's the, you know, whole point of those organizations. They'll keep the pressure up. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, the, the, the New York Daily News is and the New York Posts and, you know, just the local media will hopefully keep on top of it because really. And the national media too, like places like the athletic and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true then to national outlets that have, you know, kind of Google write local stories. But, you know, that's the only way that this will not just kind of disappear. So hopefully that is the case and it just doesn't, you know, get get forgotten about and then goodbye. I feel like it's just like getting more traction every single time, though, like Mm -hmm. this talked about. It's always more and more teams getting shown for what it is. So hopefully that keeps it in the spotlight. Well, we'll see. I mean, I don't have any illusions that, you know, at the end of the season or next year or something, Major League Baseball will be like, yeah, we're going to completely rehaul the way that we pay our minor leaguers and treat our minor leaguers, just like we completely overhauled the system itself. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, I don't think it's happening. But that's why you just got to, like I said, hopefully the pressure just stays on and... They're just shamed to marginal. They're just shamed to literally treat their players just with a little bit more <laughs> dignity, you know. Which is uh, sad, but you know what? I guess that that is a very good encapsulation of America in 2021. Unfortunately. All right, so let's move on now to our weekly affiliate updates. Uh, we missed, you know, last week because of drafting and everything like that, but. We're back with this, and starting with Syracuse is probably not the best way to reintroduce this, because they had a pretty lousy week, as is the norm, I guess, and they they just went winless. They went 0 for 6 against the Trenton Buffalo Thunder Bisons, so <laughs> that drops them to 23 and 48 on the year, which is 23 and a half games behind the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders for first place in the... Triple A East Northeast. They're winning less than a third of their games. Jeez, man. Listen. I mean, it's rough because they keep losing players, but also to the major league team. But also, they were bad before that too. <laughs> do you want a, Do you ahead. want a silver lining? Go yeah. for it. Okay, 
the Kannapolis Cannon Bowlers, they're also 23 and 48. And the Hartford Yard Goats and the Visalia Rawhide, they're even worse. So, who is, who is in this league? Who's winning these games? I don't understand. At least we're not the Yard Goats. At least we're not the Rawhides. That's basically all I have to say. Are the Yard Goats still the Rockies affiliate yeah. or did, uh, yeah, I guess you could have a bad major league team and a bad triple A team, but that's even worse. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, this is nobody on the horizon. At least the Mets had all those guys in Syracuse to, you know, fill in when everything, when, when they needed to, which is part of the reason why Syracuse is so bad right now. We knew what Syracuse been. was. <laughs> right. Syracuse was an extension of the taxi squad, basically. Mm-hmm. As triple A kind of should be. Especially with how their system is set up. Like in, like, Beatty should be there next year and stuff like that, so that'll be at least a little more fun. But even then, like, he's just going to be there by himself with a bunch of, like, 30-year-olds. <laughs> oh, hopefully they don't teach him, like, bad habits, like tobacco. And, and, and Khalil Lee. Khalil Lee will be, still be there. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. He should still be there. Yeah, I mean. And he's been pre- he's been playing pretty well. Now that I've said that, he's going to get traded at the in, like, two days, so. <laughs> Before the podcast even comes out, he's, he's a cub for Chris Bryan or something. Yeah. Quick check slack right now. <laughs> uh, no, we're just, we're clear for the moment. Okay. All right. So anyway, so you know, obviously when you go 0-6, there just are no redeeming moments whatsoever. So we're just gonna leave it at that. That Syracuse went 0-6 and, and move on to the Binghamton Rumble Ponies, who had a 500 week against the Erie Seawolves. They went three and three. So on the year they are 27 and 42 which is 17 and a half games behind the Portland Sea Dogs, who really have gone on a roll. They won last 14 of the last 15 games, and they surged into first place in the AA Northeast-Northeast. Um, we mentioned him a couple minutes, seconds ago, excuse me, Brett Beatty. He got off to a rough start with the Rumble yeah, Ponies after coming back from the Futures game. He went 1-20 for 20 in the first series that he played, but he had a much better time of it this week. He went 5-20 for 20 with two doubles and a homer. And they all came on Saturday's game. I was going to say, he, like, went nuts yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suffice uh, it to say, I don't think any of us are panicking over oh, a no. bad 30 at-bat start no, to a double A. It's like, all right, he'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, first honestly, you know, honestly, it's it's whatever. Um, he walked four times this week as opposed to none, so that's also an improvement. And there was no marginal you know, difference between his strikeouts. He struck out seven times this week as opposed to eight times the week before. So it's, you know, whatever. But, I mean, you got to give him minimum a month or so before you can say any kind of type of conclusion about well, anything. And look, it's a bad start. A he's, nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad start, but he's still walking 10% of the time. He's only striking out 33.3. Like, it's not a Khalil Lee in the majors level strikeout rate. It's 90 weighted. For your first taste of double A. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, his fellow third baseman slash left fielder, Mark Vientos, <laughs> also, you know, kind of ho-hum week. He went four for 20 with a homer. Uh, he had four walks and five strikeouts. So another, like, kind of not the best week, but not, like, putrid either. Honestly, it really wasn't a great week for any hitters outside of randomly Manny Rodriguez. He went six for 16 with a double and two home runs. Uh, Carlos Cortez, I guess, gets an honorable mention. He went four for 16 with four walks and two homers. And what makes it interesting, I guess, is he had a 154 bat pip. So if one or two of those outs become hits, a couple of all those walks and the homers, you know, that in theory could have been like play of the week territory. But, you know, at the end of the day, they weren't. So it is what it is. I don't but understand why Cortez is still in double A, frankly. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't called him up yet. There's just no use putting him in AAA, I guess, because that's reserved for, you know, the taxi squad. He's only playing the outfield this year, and and Syracuse does have a ton of outfielders who are actually, you know, hitting pretty well. So it's not like they have any pressing need to move Cortez. That's fair, yeah. He's going to be like an... (laughs) Unironic call up when dudes get hurt next year, which is pretty wild. Oh boy! I mean, it, it, it keeps hitting like this, and it's going to be hard to say no to him at some point, you know. As crazy as that sounds. 
really the only guy all week that had a good week um, for Binghamton was Jose Budo. He made his double-A debut. He threw six solid innings, allowed two runs on five hits. He walked one. He hit a batter, and he struck out eight. Um, I've seen Budo, like, too much, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's, I think literally every Mets pot minor league person has seen host too much of Jose Buto at this point. Yeah. I saw it twice this season. I saw him once in 2019 when he was with the Fireflies, and then I saw him at least once in 2018 when he was with the shorty version of the Cyclones. And it's, I don't know, I, I think, what's the right word of putting it? He's not divisive. That's not the right way to put it. But there are certain individuals or organizations or outlets, whatever, that are much higher on him than myself, who have seen him too many times. And I don't see what they see. You know, he's not he's bad. Boy. He's not bad, but fastball sits low 90s. He tops out like 94. And he pairs it with like an average to above average changeup and a fringy, like bad fringy curveball. So, you know, with the system is what it is right now, you could probably say, you know, he's like the Mets' 26th best prospect. I would not disagree, but that's really more of an indictment on the system. Mm-hmm. Like, you're saying, you know, than a glowing review of Budo himself. And I don't really see Budo improving all that much. You know, he's 23. Um and I'm not going to say he can't get better, but I just, you know, he's 23 already. I don't see him adding much size or anything at this point. So he just kind of is what it is. A guy with an average fastball, a solid to above average changeup, and really not that great of a curve. You know, that's that's a, seems like a guy that, you know, will get to double A and then probably flame out as so many guys before him. Yeah, I feel like if this was a system that, actually was still good at developing pitchers. There's like a couple components here that you could squint and say, all right, if we do X, Y, and Z, this could be a usable piece. But the Mets are not currently a team that does a good job of developing pitchers. Instead, they let them go to the Mariners and turn into relief aces. So, <laughs> How is Justin Dunn doing? Is he relieving yet or he's still starting? I mean, I don't know what Justin Dunn's up to, but Paul Sewald's like a top yeah. five reliever in the American League somehow. Oh shit, he is. Yeah, yeah he's it, been incredible. Disgusting. I don't huh. understand. Yeah, he's been so good. <laughs> I mean, I do understand. They just said stop throwing your shit fastball, throw your good slider more. Yeah, and no, somehow the Mets can't figure out themselves. But so basically, they made him into Luke Gregerson. Sure. I mean, yeah. Luke Gregerson made like what twenty million bucks in his career. Yeah, he got paid at least once, like like a multi-year uh, reliever deal type thing. <clears throat> Good for Paul Seawall then, damn. 2.37 ERA, 1.71 FIP, 15.7 K9 with only 3.5 walks per night. 15.7? Yes, 15.7. Wow. Okay. Maybe we could trade him for Edwin Diaz. Hey, I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> get Jared Kelnick and his 40% strikeout rate back. Exactly. So. I think that's hitting, fair. Hitting 099 or whatever. Uh-huh. Exactly. He's a bum. So just get a do-over. All right. Um, the Brooklyn Cyclones now, they have a five-game winning streak going. Maybe they extend it to six because they just started the finale to their series with Wilmington right now. Maybe they don't extend it to six, but either way, you know, it was a good week. Um they were so far back in the standings, though, that even though they do have a five-game winning streak, they're still not out of last place in the high A East-North. Um, but, you know, maybe if they can have a, a winning streak next week, too, maybe they can climb out of the bottom. But right now they are 27-42, and 42, which is 18 games behind the Hudson Valley Renegades. So hold Remember on. when there. we thought every minor league affiliate was going to be good this year? Yeah, yeah. I thought they were going to like be competitive and win games, just not like prospect good. But they, damn. they do, they do win games just every so often, you know. <laughs> Let's see, they're 18 games behind. Binghamton is 17 and a half games behind, and Syracuse is 23 and a half games behind. So. Hmm. 
But anyway, um, the biggest and most important news regarding Brooklyn is that JT Ginn made his Brooklyn debut. He ended up going five and two-thirds innings, uh, allowing a run on five hits. He didn't walk anybody, <clears throat> and he struck out six. Uh, I was at the game. He looked pretty solid, ton of ground balls. Uh, two of those five hits were cheapies or very easily could have been foul ball. Um, fastball, it's at 90 to 94, you know, was mainly 92, 93. He mixed in a bunch of mid 80 sliders. They were legit good pitches. You know, they, I think they were basically all in the dirt, but everyone swung at them and a couple of changeups. And that, you know, that pretty much matches all the stuff that he's been doing in, um, St. Lucie since he started pitching again in, in, uh, June. I I understand he's coming back from Tommy John, everything like that, you know, so it needs to be viewed through that lens. But I guess just having, like, watched him and really just, like, absorbed, you know, who he is as a pitcher and everything like that, he just doesn't feel dynamic enough to have front-of-the-rotation potential. He really, I, I, I feel like he's really more of a back end of the pitcher, back end of the rotation pitcher. And that's fine. That's still a good outcome. It's very David Peter, David Peterson vibes. I think he's a little better than that. Like, I think so too. But, but vibes. Yeah. Yes. Of course, this could completely change, you know, like we've been saying since the beginning, like he might just be easing and his coaches might be telling him just ease yourself back in. Because my main thing is just the fastball did not seem dynamic. Mm-hmm. I feel like a guy that, you know, throws 90, a right-handed pitcher that throws 90, 94 is mainly sitting 92, 93. You're not going to have crazy success as a major leaguer without a, a really solid fastball to be able to hang your head on. And at least right now, he's not showing that. It's not a bad fastball. He got, you know, uh, quite a few swing and, and misses with it. I think he had one. Let me look here. He had three strikeouts with the fastball. One was looking and two were swinging. But I, mean, I wonder, do we have any of the StatCast numbers on his fastball in terms of its spin rate or efficiency or not yeah, really? It's, it's not really an above average spin rate. But again, I, that's also something I was thinking about um, whenever it was. I don't remember when I was thinking about it. But, like, the whole notion of what is an average spin rate, an above-average spin rate, we probably have to reconceptualize all of that at the, be- at, at the end of the season, given the yeah. crackdown and everything. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's true. He might be throwing what is an average or slightly above-average spin rate fastball right now that, you know, in – the beginning of the 2022 season when we have this data and everything gets adjusted might all of a sudden be a firmly above average pitch in terms of spin rate. So, but I mean, there are certainly ways to succeed without great fastball velocity and he might even still have a couple ticks in the tank given that he's coming back from TJ, but right. That's the thing. Like if he does, that's a completely game. That's a, makes him a completely different pitcher. Like, Justin, like I mentioned before, Justin Dunn, he had a dynamic fastball and a very good slider. And Ginn right now is not really throwing, is not really showing a dynamic fastball, but he is throwing that same kind of slider. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if, you know, if he can start throwing a fastball with some giddy up that reaches, you know, the mid and upper 90s, then that's very different. And that was something that in college he was supposed to be able to do. But we'll see. He might not even be a member of the organization next year. Yeah, week. I think he's one of the guys who I would circle for trading for someone. I'm still all aboard the trade Ronnie Mauricio as fast as possible train, but... I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets are too, but just well, with let's, or in, let's, the, in the fold and everything. Let's get to him, I guess. And this would be a good week to trade him if you can kind of fool an organization. What what teams are out there that you could fool, pull a quick one by? Yeah, yeah but he's done. <laughs> I think the Twins were scouting uh, the Mets, too. I'm trying to come up with, like, what a Twinsy player is, and I've got nothing. They're just, like, the most blah organization. Yeah, they really like. 
Mauricio is having a very streaky season, and this was the uh, a peak the right now. Side, yeah, the good side. Yeah, not factoring whatever happens today because the game is going on right now. He went six for twenty with a double and a homer, uh, one walk and three strikeouts. And if you want to expand things back to an arbitrary time point, the beginning of July, he is hitting two eighty eight, three twenty nine, four seventy with three doubles, three homers, three walks, and eleven strikeouts in seventeen games. So that's you know. Uh, Almost an entire month, and that's a pretty solid batting line. Yeah, and I don't want to say he's always been a streaky hitter because I really don't think we just we just don't have enough data to really say that. But at least his peaks and valleys in 2019, the first time that he played a whole season, it made more sense. You know, he had a solid first half of the season. Um, he had 290, 333, 394, and then he didn't like crater completely, but he he did have really poor second half he had 244 280 320 in the second half so you know it, it just the timing of it you could be like oh yeah he was just 18 he's playing his first season it's easier to, to conceptualize him just kind of tiring over the course of the season and that's not really I don't want to say an excuse but that's not really something I don't think you can really say would be the case this year and it feels like he's just really struggling to find consistency he gets hot and he trails off Mm-hmm. I think he's just a weird player. <laughs> like, yeah, and also something to think about when while I was writing all this stuff down, I was like, hmm, I don't know if the weekly it, it might really just be the the regular ups and downs of a week of two weeks of a month, whatever. Just feel magnified because the way the format of the minors now, it's just more easily digestible. You know, you're just having a six game block, then a week off, then a six game block against another team, then a week off. So, like, okay, you could just look at each of those six-game blocks and, and analyze it, whatever. Whereas, you know, 2019, everything year before, like, you could go a week or two, whatever, before having, like, a game off or scheduled day off, whatever, and everything just looked more jumbled. So, we, it, you know, the, the peaks and valleys here might just be kind of magnified just by way of what the season looks like, when in reality it's just kind of always been like that. I mean, we are just talking about little sample sizes here of a couple of games. I mean, my explanation is much simpler. I just don't think he's good. <laughs> well, there is that too. Well, one guy that we do know is good is Francisco Alvarez. Yes. And he, he had a kind of weird week. Um, and again, keep in mind, Brooklyn's playing right now, so... You know, the, he he could go off in this game, and all of a sudden it's an amazing week instead of a weird one. But he went three for fifteen in four games, which isn't really what you want to see. But two of those three hits were homers, so that's good. And I looked at his numbers because I, uh, you know, obviously I had to. But he's been Brooklyn for about a month. Uh, excuse me, about two months now. Any guess what his batting line is on the season with them, which is forty-four games? Uh, two eighty, three seventy, four twenty. I think the last two numbers are close to what that is, but I know the batting average is lower than that because I looked him up a little bit ago. Not today, but it, the last time I looked up his batting average, it was like two sixty. He is currently hitting two seventeen. Yeah. Three thirty five. 462 with nine yeah, homers. Yeah, 420 was way too low. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Nine but homers, like, 22 walks, yeah. and 46 strikeouts. As the youngest player in the league still, right? Yes, that's the thing. Yes, By exactly. like a year. Not even like a few months or something. By like a yeah. full year. Like he's young. He exactly. could repeat that, if anything. That, that, exactly. That, exactly. That and that's why I'm not concerned at all. A, he is just so young. B, all those underlying numbers, you know, 22 walks and 46 strikeouts in 44 games, that's fine. Uh, the power, obviously, is showing. That's Man, fine. He, he hits the shit out of the ball. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, his bat pip is 247, which is a little bit low even for him, a guy that is kind of a slow poke. So, you know, if you bump the bat pip up 40 points. Excuse me, say, he stole the base yesterday or two. Oh, shit, that's right. Ow. <laughs> So I, I, I'm making this comp purely based on the body and because he was in town this week. But how happy are we if Francisco Alvarez becomes Alejandro Kirk? I mean, he's a pretty good major league hitter. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would feel like that's so I was talking to Jeff Petanastro about some prospect stuff a few days ago and we were talking about Mauricio and like pro, kind of like ex, I was talking about like fan expectations and stuff and like I was thinking about like if Mauricio isn't like a star but he's a good player people will be like down on him about it sure. because that's not mm-hmm. what you expect but that's a fine outcome like an Alejandro Kirk type player you know I mean that's at- a, that's a good player <laughs> like not everyone's a star, even if you're a top prospect. Look at Ahmed Rosario. I mean, he did kind of have bad playing time, but he was a sol- when he was hitting, he was a solid hitter, but or player. But even if just you know being just okay is not good enough when you are. He hit once. He was he wasn't half season, an, half oh, year, yeah yeah he never right. hit outside of that. Like he wasn't a good player who we were he hit a little bit in. this year. He was starting and then he went into a bad slump again. But yeah, he well, was maybe like, that's, maybe that's I, not a good example then. But but the point is that even when you're hyped to mm-hmm. you know as okay you are the top prospect or you're going to be a good player or whatever, just being okay is just not generally good enough. You know, jerks and pro par. That's a good yeah, one. Because yeah, he's, yeah, a, yeah. he's a he's definitely a major league contributor. But mm-hmm. like eight years ago, that dude was like. He was supposed to be the next coming. Yep. Yeah, he was supposed to be like the next best player in baseball, and that just never happened. And he'll always be a bust in that regard, but also he's good. Like, he's not great. He's not amazing. He's a good major league player. He does a lot of good things for a baseball team, and most teams would be better off with him than without him. But also, he's not anywhere close to what people thought he was. So Yeah. And that sucks. <laughs> like, it sucks for him, I guess, because he'll always carry, like, not being the top prospect guy, like, not being the next best player in baseball, but also he got paid and he plays baseball for a Yeah, league. I'm sure he's crying. He's drawing his yeah. tears with his $21 million <laughs> it, contract. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, on one <laughs> to hand, live and play cool. baseball in San Diego for a team that's, like, a World Series contender. Mm-hmm. Ooh. But yeah, it's just, it's one of those things where like, the expectations of, in, in baseball especially, like, sometimes the top prospects are just gonna be good players, even if they're top prospects. Top prospect doesn't equal Mike Trout, or DeGrom, or Lindor, or someone like that. Mm-hmm. Top prospect means the top of, the best prospect out of a group of prospects. That could be any range of things. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, like, the last Mets play, the Mets, Top prospect. I mean, obviously, you know, Rosario kind of has not lived up to any expectation yet. But outside of that, Jimenez was up there, and I mean, he hasn't really gotten a shot outside of one year. Right. I mean, he hasn't really. And when he did play last season, he, he was, was pretty solid. I think that's actually a good example, though, because like he was a top prospect in the system and was about a league average hitter, and that's because of what the type of hitter he was. It's just that he's not going to hit for power. But, I don't think anybody got on his case though for not. That's true. Giving, yeah. yeah, no one really expected like anything else out of that. And David people Peterson, weren't expecting a. David Peterson was never a top prospect. We had Pete Alonso as a top prospect in twenty whatever eighteen or nineteen. I think he has lived up to those expectations. Yeah. yeah. Here, here are a couple other good ones going back a little further. I don't think they were ever number one, but they were up there. Jason Hayward and Matt Weeders. Mm, Weeders, yeah. Yeah, Both. Weeders is a really good one. We like, was supposed to be another guy that was supposed to be like the next big thing. Right. And he's like, oh, you just had, I mean, Hayward then got that huge contract, which also plays into this narrative, but he's been a usable big league player for a while. And if you're talking about median outcomes, like that's so much better than most guys you evaluate. Jay Bruce, another former number. I'm just going back through BP's old top hundred. Wasn't list. Hayward also the like amazingly good hitter for like the first Two or three years. Oh, he had a really, yeah. he had a really yeah. hot start, then a really yeah. good walk year, and then that's it. And then Alex Gordon, <laughs> like, here's another good got, one. He's like, I got paid, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, Alex Gordon was the top prospect in 2007. Just good career, not great, right? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. He's a, he was definitely a good player, though. Mm-hmm. If anything, underrated. Because yeah. he was in KC, and they were bad for basically. Ever. Yeah, outside of. They were good long enough to beat the Mets in the World Series. Yeah. That's not at the end of his career, though. He was just on some really bad teams. Mm -hmm. Well, suffice to say, I think we all all agree that Alvarez probably will 
have a major league career at the rate that he's going, and hopefully he has one like he has uh, had. You know, so Literally, far. that stat line, like 217, I don't remember the other numbers he said, but they were in the threes and fours. That's, prob- that's probably 60. a good major league catcher. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and no one would pre- be particularly overjoyed with something like that because of the 217, but also, like, you have to factor in what catcher is in Major League Baseball today. The thing is, I, honest, his his hit tool is better than his power, I, you know, at least in my opinion. So I think, like, just give him. I mean, it's been two months, which of course, yeah, I'm not. It's an okay amount of time, but I think he will hit. I mean, we'll see, but I think that the average will. Like be a very 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 good average. Not not that you ever want to do this sort of thing based solely on the stat line, but if he's hitting like this, you'd let him finish the season here and then start him, maybe start him here next year with a very quick trigger that. when I he's like batting 400, 600, 800 or something after two weeks. You say, all right, you you're going to Double A now. I also think like age is still a factor there, mm-hmm. where you don't necessarily always want him to be the youngest player in the league at all times if you could help it, like letting him kind of play with the competition of, like, letting him kind of be the average age of a league for a little bit would be fine for him because he'll be able to really thrive. And then you can move him up and make him like, the, the youngest guy in the league again. But, I mean, like, you don't, don't have to, you don't have to rush him. There's no rush with him. Like, no. there's no reason to make try to put the rocket to his back and swing him up the system. Like, you could take your time with him. It's fine. He's 19. I think we can attribute some of the struggle to watching all of his coworkers going out after games and having, you know, <laughs> cold brews and just him being a good boy, not partaking in such activity, you know? I would say Carrasco had a lot of nice things to say about him, which is nice. Like, obviously, he's not going to go out into the media and just, like, dump all over the kid, but you always <laughs> like to see that. We call that right there a Tony Larusa. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, now... Finishing on a high note is St. Lucie. St. Lucie Mets, they've been consistently good, and they had another good week this week. They went 4 for 2, which bumped them up to 39 and 33 on the season, which is three games ahead of the Jupiter Hammerheads in the low A Southeast East. Um, Jalen Palmer, he broke his 209 at bat homerless streak. Yay! His first homer of the year. And he had a real productive week. Uh, he went 8 for 25 with a double, that home run, and a stolen base. And that brings his season total to 284, 383, 391. I want to believe. <laughs> yeah, I like him. 13 doubles, 4 triples, that home run, and 23 stolen bases in 66, excuse me, in 60 games. Oh. With 35 walks and 72 strikeouts. Uh, he's running a BAPIP over 400 right now, but he is that kind of player that could maintain a super high BAPIP. He's really mm-hmm. fast. He sprays line drives all over the place. So, you know, maybe not 400, but. Yeah, he, he's the type of guy who could have, who could run a higher BAPIP than you would think, just speed and, and making contact and all that. Right. I mean, uh, I'm sure uh, there's uh, some regression, but it's not going to be like crashing back to earth reality regression. I mean, there are two concerns with him earlier this year when he was really struggling. It's like the strikeouts and the the lack of power. And he's curbed the strikeouts to a point where it's livable. He's been around 25% most of the, most of the time since the awful start. But he's still got an almost 2 to 1 ground ball to fly ball ratio. And I, I, I by no means think they should do what they did to Andres Jimenez to, to Jalen Palmer, like turn, try to turn a dude that isn't. I mean, with Jimenez, it was very obvious he wasn't a power hitter, and Palmer has the frame for it. Like, he doesn't... Palmer is 100% a power hitter. Well, right. Okay, okay, excuse me. That's not the right word. Power hitter is a certain archetype. He is a guy that has power. Yes, and he should not... If Andres Jimenez has a 2-to-1 ground ball to fly ball ratio, I think that's too high, but it's not a huge problem. Jalen Palmer should not have a 2-to-1 ground ball to fly ball ratio. Like... He needs to lift the ball more. So I'm still a little concerned on that front. I think that what's going on with him is one of the more interesting things in that's going on in the system so far. Yes. And it's just such an annoyance that there is no 
you know, video feed from St. Lucie because mm-hmm. I, I saw him in Kingsport. I have videos of him. So like, I know what his swing, you know, to compare, we could be able to compare and see, okay, what is it different? What, what different is going on with this swing that's causing the lack of, of home run power that's causing such a high ground ball rate. Like what is going on? And, you know, we have some, some, some stat cast data and stuff, but just being able to see would make things so much easier in that regard. Mm-hmm. But he's doing good things. You know, third if, base if he, center field defensive profile is interesting too. <laughs> mm-hmm. He could probably play second too, I'm sure. Yeah, he played, he could play second, he could play short, he played third. Obviously center base, uh, center base, Jesus Christ. Center oh, yeah. field is no. <laughs> center base. Calm third. down there, Rob Manfred, we're not <laughs> adding an extra base in the outfield. His ears just perked up and he's like, I got an idea, boys. Mm-hmm. What if we put a base in center field? But yeah, he is a very exciting player. And if the season ended now and that was like his final line, that would still be like a super positive development for him. Because doing it in St. Lucie, low A St. Lucie is is a bit more legitimate, you know, than doing it in rookie ball Kingsport, you know, from 2019. Mm. Uh, another guy that's having a good week, Alex Ramirez. He went six for 19. Um, he's currently hitting 256, 324, 369 on this season now. Pretty solid. You know, not in, in a vacuum. It's like, uh, all right. But for an 18-year-old with his first month or whatever it is of professional baseball, that's solid. He also has 12 stolen bases on the year, too. Um, though it did come with five caught stealings, which is not necessarily ideal. But, again, he's 18. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Good to see. He's playing, this counts as full season ball, right? Yeah, so you're yeah. playing full season ball as a teenager, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last real standout on St. Lucie this week was Jose Peroza. He went 9 for 21 with two doubles, a homer, uh, two walks, and four strikeouts. And that brings his season total to a very solid 272, 413, 421, with 13 doubles, one triple, and five home runs in 58 games. Um, solid, very, very solid peripherals. 58 walks to 60 strikeouts. He's been a guy of interest. Um, he just turned 21 a couple of weeks ago. He was signed as a international free agent in 2017, I believe. So St. Lucie, you know, is an appropriate um, competition level for him. Uh, I think if he maintains this pace, you know, even if he finishes the season with this exact batting line, I think that he's definitely forced himself into discussion for the back half of our uh, Mm -hmm. 2022. In a thin system, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And the thing with him, the story with him is he was always a power over hit guy, but this year it's the opposite. He's hitting for a very solid average, and he's not hitting too much. He's not hitting for too much power in terms of home run power anyway. And he is a really stocky, muscular guy, so the power should come, you know, I would hope, anyway. So it'll be interesting if if he's turning himself into, you know, another <laughs> corner infield guy that the Mets have. I, I just have, well, an irras- okay. I have an irrational hatred for him because I cannot keep Peraza and Peroza straight in my head. So mm-hmm. someone's got to go. Damn. There can only be one. All right, well, uh, let's move on now to, oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, that's Thomas, funny. I think you have someone for us. I do. So this is this guy actually has major league time, which is fun for an, oh, yeah, that guy, because he played two years for the Mets. Well, 77 total games over two years. But... I will always remember this individual because he is the first Brooklyn Cyclone to ever play for the Mets. And uh, I, re- Danny I remember, Garcia? Yes. I yes. remember that being such a fun thing when I was, so when the Cyclones first came back, I had like partial season tickets for a few years. And, um, we would go like to a game or two every weekend or something like that, like right behind home plate. They were really nice seats. 
because it was minor league baseball. They were cheaper than the Mets, and my parents were both huge baseball fans. That's the reason why I'm a Mets fan. So we would go all the time. Like, I saw all those Cyclones teams, those early 2000s, for, like, a few years, like, everyone, from Mike Jacobs on down. And I remember Garcia, like, was super good for the Cyclones for a little bit and then moved on up because he hit 321, 387, 411 in, like, 15 games, and they were like, all right, you're done here. <laughs> go up to uh, to full season when they were still in the Penn League. But, yeah, it's just he was a fun little guy, and he was he's someone that I always remember. Um, just because, like, that was, I, he was a minor league guy, and then two, a few years later, he was in, in the majors, and I was like, oh wow, like that happens, you know? Cause mm-hmm. being from, I, being from Brooklyn, I never saw minor league baseball much, because it's always in places that were not close to me, like, Staten Island, the Yankees didn't have, the Staten Island Yankees didn't exist yet either, um, and we wouldn't go to Jersey because if we were going to go out there, we would just go to see the Mets. Like, you know, like you like, just wouldn't go to Jersey. You could have just stopped there. <laughs> like if if we were going to hop in the car and drive to a baseball game, it would be the Mets. You know, like we wouldn't go to see the, a minor league team at that point. So. um, So, yeah, it was just he he's in he's an oh, yeah, that guy for me, just because he's one of the he's the first guy I remember as a minor leaguer making it. And I've seen. I saw him play in the minors, and so he always held a little special place in my heart. He was a good little minor league player. Um, he played 300 games in the minor, well, 280, 289 games in the minor leagues, and he hit 254, 320, 352, and that very much led to his major league career of hitting 227, 345, which is a very high OBP, which is surprising, and 361 for the Mets over 77 games in some bad Mets teams in 2003 and 2004. And then he tried to make it again as a I think he signed with the Yankees in their minor league system yes he did and then he played indie ball for a year and then that was it he just kind of flamed out after that but yeah Danny Garcia the first cyclone to ever be a New York Met which is a fun one that you know those teams predated SNY so it was a lot more difficult to catch Mets games because of that but I honestly don't remember a single instance of Danny Garcia doing anything in the major leagues. Oh no, he didn't. Like Yeah, no, yeah. He, he hit five home runs in 77 games and hit 227. Like he wasn't played, He played enough to get his pension. Yep. Yep, that's true. That's true. I think I would think so. I think that's I, not, I don't know actually, but I'll imagine it's true because it's nice. Uh, hopefully he has a baseball card then, something. Mhm. Some some kind of memento for his time, either a pension or a card, whatever. I'm sure, he has his first hit ball. Angel Pagan and Mike Jacobs were also on that team. The, nice. the uh, slightly that. better careers. Yeah, and some dudes. <laughs> that is one of the trades I get most irrationally angry about. The uh, Pagan. Angel Pagan for uh, Andres Torres and uh, oh god, that terrible uh, the, the pitcher uh, uh, Ramon Ramirez. Yeah, that's it. I think. So dumb. Listen, the Mets do a lot of dumb things. So dumb. Frank Core led that team in OPS. Jeez. He, he hit was, three. He, he hit three hundred two home run leaders. He hit three hundred two, three sixty five, five ninety four in sixty one games. He's yeah, one of the all time home run leaders of Cyclone history. Not the, but one of. Yeah, he played there for a while. Two years. He's not as prolific a home run hitter as Luke Ritter is, of course. But... <laughs> Do you happen to remember Jake Ruckle? Vaguely. I remember the name. Mm-hmm, okay. You guys are pulling some names that I've never heard of before at this point. <laughs> it's because, like, when, when you see these guys, like, game in and game out, you start, like, I was basically watching them as much as I was watching the Mets. Live yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's more. super nice to have to live that close to a minor league stadium, absolutely. Yeah. I think the closest to me growing up was probably in like Lakewood, which wasn't exactly close. So, mm-hmm. and it, it it was like I remember I have like Angel Pagan's Angel Pagan's autograph somewhere, and when I was signing it, I dropped the ball to give it to him, and he was like messing with me. He picked up, he's like, "Oh, this is mine now," and I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> like I didn't really get the joke, and he was like, "No, I'm kidding. It's it's like I'm gonna sign it for you and give it back because I look upset, I guess, because I was a kid." 
<laughs> but it was just, it's one of those things that always stuck with me. Like, he always was very good with fans and stuff, because we would get there very early and get autographs and stuff. Like, I have a bunch of Cyclones autograph balls. And he was always good with that. He would always be out there and signing balls and stuff. So that was always fun. Not all of the current Cyclones are. I know. Mauricio. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvahos343. Our missing compatriot Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at Sad Met Season SZN. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts from, rate and review it. <clears throat> And of course, thank you for listening, and we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.